The reading from the Old Testament tonight is from Psalm 19, and it's on page 3 of your bulletin. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and, like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Tonight, we have the privilege of hearing the Word of God brought to us by one of our brothers, um, Andrew Russell, our pastoral fellow. He is here from um, Dallas, Texas, and will be with us for at least a year. He and his wife, Stephanie, uh, together have four children, Naomi, uh, Judah, Isaiah, and the youngest uh, to be born in December. And um, I've been able to work alongside of Andrew for a few weeks now, and I, I've been really blessed by his heart for this city, uh, his desire and passion for evangelism and the word. And you're going to hear that come out, I'm sure, in his preaching. So Andrew, why don't you come up? Um, we want to pray for you. Let me pray for you, man. Join me. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for our brother Andrew and the work that you have begun in his own life and the word that you have placed in his heart. We pray that you would allow him to be a mouthpiece, a vessel that you use tonight to encourage, to edify, even to challenge and correct our hearts as we come now, opening up our hearts before you and your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, brother. Thank you. Good evening. How are y'all doing this evening? Well, my name is Andrew Russell. I'm recently from Dallas, Texas, born in Nassau, Bahamas, and it is my privilege to be before you this evening. Before, let me, I, I'm going to pray too, just a short prayer, and then we'll get into it. 
May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So this past summer, we've been looking at the songs or the different psalms, and we've been seeing how the psalms reveal the character of God. And as we look at the character of God, there is one response to sing. And so today, we'll be looking at Psalm chapter 19, and the entitled, uh, my, I've entitled the sermon, God the Creator. And the point that I'm trying to make, if you, if you sleep through the rest of it, this is, if you get this one point, then you've got it. And the point is, I'm, I'm trying to show you through Psalm 19 that God reveals himself through the heavens, through as creator generally, and he reveals himself through his word specifically to bring us into a relationship with him. And this act of God should cause us to sing. And so as I'm thinking about Psalm 19, it is written by King David, king of Israel. I was thinking about singing because the psalm is a song. Psalm 19 is a song, and I'm a songwriter, and I've been, I'm 33, and I've been writing songs ever since I was 14 years old. And I thought to myself, you know, why do I write songs? And, and, and I write songs uh, because I like to either convey a message, uh, I, I write songs to uh, share my heart, if I've been, been prompted by the, the word of God or, or an experience, I write songs. I also write songs as a means of catharsis, whereby I write my struggles, my pain, my hurts, and so I write them down as a means for me to heal, and then when the listener hears it, hopefully they are healed as well. Kara Johnstad, she's a singer-songwriter, she said, singing is the final act of healing and forgiveness. When you are wounded, you retreat. When the wounds begin to heal, you have the strength to sing again. My brothers and sisters, I believe that some of you have been wounded. Some of you have been wounded by life. Some of you have been wounded by God himself. You feel like God is too far away. You feel like maybe God isn't even real. And so it might be hard for you to hear the song of David this evening. And so it is with great humility that I ask that if you just put down your God for just 25 minutes, and I pray that the song of David might heal you tonight. So let's look at it. Psalm 19 verses 1 through 6. So the first point that I'd like to make is the fact that David shows general revelation, and I'll unpack that in following. So in, in verses 1 through 6, we see God revealing himself as the creator, and more specifically, the creator of the heavens. It says in verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims his handiwork. You see, God is not hidden. He has stamped his signature in the most visible place, the heavens. The heaven's declaration of God's creativity doesn't stop. It wasn't a one-time event. It is day after day and night after night. God has an amen corner, and he just has to step out in the skies, and he's hearing amens every day and every night. And I know that we're a Presbyterian church, so it might be hard for you to say amen, but if you say amen maybe once, it doesn't have to be day after day or night after night, but just one time. I'm sure God would appreciate that. 
Amen. Amen. There you go. There you go. Thank you. So the heavens declare to us that they, are not, they haven't been put there by chance, but they have been put there by a divine creator. The heavens speak of God's general revelation, which means that God has revealed himself as the creator of the universe. God spoke the world into existence and he fashioned it by the power of his Holy Spirit. Romans 1.20 says, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without an excuse. You see, God wants to be discovered. God wants his invisible attributes to be clearly perceived. He wants his divine nature and also his eternal power to be clearly seen. And so he created the most expansive canvas of all creation so that we might know him. The Egyptians, they, they, they constructed pyramids to, to, to show the glory of the pharaohs. The Eiffel Tower, the French made the Eiffel Tower in the late 1800s, early 19th century for the World's Fair to show the world that they can make the tallest building out of the most complex engineering. The Washington Monument, we pass it every day. The, the Washington Monument stands as a, a symbol of greatness to George Washington, the, find, the founding father, as a symbol of respect and also honor. And so man has and will continue to construct these architectural marvels that reach high into the sky to display his power and his wealth and his intelligence. And this is exactly what God has done. God, creation of the heavens is, the heavens serve as the pyramid of his power. The heavens are the Eiffel Tower of his wealth and imagination. The heavens are the Washington Monument of his glory. And you know, as I was doing some research and looking it into, the, into the heavens and space, and you know, we exist in the galaxy, and we all know this, we know that the earth rotates around its axis, but I was shocked by the speed at which everything rotates. Did you know that the Earth rotates around its axis at over 1,000 miles per hour? And on top of that, the Earth orbits around the sun at over 66,000 miles per hour. And if that wasn't enough, you know we live in a solar system that has nine planets orbiting the sun. Our solar system, we all know, is in the Milky Way, and the solar system travels at over 515,000 miles per hour within the Milky Way galaxy. Scientists says that uh, our, 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 uh, the, the speed, even though it might be so fast, it said, the scientists said it would take two, 200, sorry, and 30 million years to travel around the Milky Way. You see, our, our galaxy, the Milky Way, is not only one galaxy, but billions upon billions of galaxies. And scientists say that the, our galaxy, the Milky Way, travels at over one million miles per hour. And yet we're not crashing, and yet we're not thrown off the face of the earth. That You see, the heavens declare the glory of God. Amen. So who do the heavens speak to? Do they merely exist to tell each other of God's greatness? Are they like trophies on a shelf just taken up dusk? No, the psalmist says, we can read it, that they reveal the knowledge of God. Look at, look at verse 4. 
It says their, their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. It says in verse 2, day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. You see, the heavens reveal the knowledge of God to the people of this earth. Creation does not exist in a vacuum. It is not enough for the heavens to have a private praise. I'll say that one more time. It is not enough for the heavens to have a private praise. The scripture says that they declare the knowledge and wisdom of God to us. They are the evangelists of God's divine nature. They are the global missionaries declaring to the world that there is a creator and that this creator wants to be known. Dr. Sinclair Ferguson, professor of systematic theology at Redeemer Seminary said, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves are inextricably related. We are both theodependent and theological beings. To be truly human, we need to be wholly and totally theo-dependent. You see, the heavens know their identity and purpose because they know their creator. We are created in God's image, and so it follows that we cannot know ourselves without knowing who God is. We are intimately connected with our creator because we bear his image. We are theo-dependent beings. You know this, we live in a very individualistic society. Uh, Elder Bob Bobwin uh, talked about this. And in our individualistic society, we, we don't like absolute truths. Uh, we like to say, you know, you got to live your own truth. You know, if it's true for you, 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 you can do what you want to do. We, we, we don't want anyone to uh, uh, hold us down. I mean, the very fabric of this nation has been, uh, uh, been made through freedom. That's, that's the one thing, that's the one ideal, the one value that we hold. And yet when we, when we read passages of scripture, we take this individualism even in our Christianity, even in our reading of the scripture, and we say, how can I find, what does this passage say about me and my situation? Rather than what does this passage speak about God? And so the purpose of scripture is not gaining information about ourselves, but in the knowledge of who God is, because once we know God, then we know ourselves more fully. Dr. Esther Meek, a philosopher and educator in her work, Loving to Know, expounds on this topic. She, she writes, when we think of knowledge in the West, we tend to think of, uh, we tend to picture it as information, facts, statements, proofs, scientifically ev uh, logical evidence. And Meek argues that knowledge is personal. It is embodied in relationship. We know and think and believe as human beings in community. Why does a child cry? Doesn't the act of crying imply that there is a person able to interpret or hear their cries? And yet we cry for justice, we cry for, for purpose and meaning, we cry for, for, for someone to make sense of our lives in this great big universe. And I believe that implies that there is a creator who hears our cries and who interprets our cries so that he can be in a relationship with us. 
In Psalm 19, verse 4, the psalmist writes that God placed in the heavens a tent or a tabernacle. Uh, and the, uh, the, another definition is a palace for the sun. This palace theme, I think, is the strongest because the writer describes the sun as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, his royal chambers. And so the heavens exist as the backdrop of God's kingdom where he rules and reigns as creator. The sun serves as a creative instrument in the hand of God. The theme of sun and light continue in the second section of Psalm 19 found in verses 7 through 10 as we look at the Torah. And so it, it, it's, it's, it's a sudden break in Psalm 19. So verse, verse 1 through 6, you have God revealing himself generally through the heavens. But, but is that enough? We all know this. If, if, I, if I lived in any continent, I can go outside and I can look at the heavens and I can contemplate the galaxy and I can say to myself, man, there must be a higher being out there. there. There must be an intelligent designer. There must be something who has created all these things. Even if we come to that conclusion, the question is, well, who is this higher being, right? Yes, we have general revelation, but the psalmist is telling us that it's not enough. And so God reveals himself more specifically through the revelation of his word or Torah. Torah is in reference to God's revealed word in scripture, and more specifically, it is the Pentateuch, or the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. But I believe that the whole Old Testament is in view. The Torah also describes God's covenant with his people. Before Moses was given the, the Ten Commandments, God said to Moses to tell the people of Israel that, that if they would obey him and keep his commandments, that they would be his people and that he would be their God. You see, the Torah or the law of God, the words of God, are always in the context of a relationship between God and his people. And so when the psalmist describes special revelation, he is referring to the particular written words of God to mankind. God reveals himself generally through nature and specifically through his words, the Torah. We understand God's revelation through the lenses of his special revelation. And so when we look out in the heavens and we see, wow, this must be created by a higher being, the Torah, the word of God, the special revelation says, that this is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and, the, and Jacob. This is the covenant-keeping God who has called us out of darkness, who has created us in his image, and who has purposed to love us through his son. God reveals himself through his words, and we understand these things. And the psalmist talks about God's word as law and, and testimonies and precepts or rules, commandments, and judgments, they like the sun are all encompassing. As the sun's heat brings life, so does God's word. If you look at it, let's, let's look at it, Psalm 19. It talks about day after day in the sun. And, and, and then when we get to verses 5, 
Uh, it says that the sun, like a tent, coming uh, like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber like a strong man running its course. And so the psalmist is, 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 is showing that we have a main character in this, in this song, that he elevates the sun uh, uh, to this position that he is a bridegroom, he is a warrior. And so the psalmist is trying to point us to the sun and showing us in the second section how the sun, uh, the, the theme continues. The sun, the word of God enlightens the eyes like the sun. The, as the sun rises and falls, bringing day and night, so is God's word faithful. In verse 7, as, as, as the sun's heat is the source of death and life, so is God's word a source of warning and reward. In verse 11. You see, the creation speaks a general word in verses 1 through 6, and yet God speaks a more personal word in verse 7 through 10, and this personal word brings life. It rejoices the heart. It revives the soul. It makes wise the simple. It enlightens the eyes, and it endures forever. This is the personal word of God. It is desirable like honey and sweet. Yet, to the modern context, you know, I talked about our individualistic society. When you hear rules and judgments and laws and commands, do you think rejoicing in the heart and reviving the soul? I mean, if you're honest with yourselves, anytime you hear, if you, especially if, if someone in authority has rules or judgments and commands, we think about a dictator. We think this is uh, uh, restrictive. We think this might be offensive. And yet, these rules and commands, these laws bring life. But you see, we want life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We want to sing like the character Elsa in Frozen, let it go, let it go. Y'all know the song. She sang, it's time for me, it's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. Isn't that our refrain? I see you laughing, Kelly. That's, that's, that's how we live. No rights or wrongs or rules for me. I'm free. We don't want no higher being to tell us what to do. And we frame God in this dictator. We frame him as, oh, he's the God of the Old Testament and the God of war. He's mean. He's, he's, he's not forgiving. He is, he, is, he is this God that's filled with bloodshed. But yet we forget the fact that Psalm 34 and verses 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I want you to see two things, two observations here that anytime we look at God's rules, his commands, his laws, his precepts, his judgments through his word, it is always emanating from his character of goodness to mankind. And the second thing I want you to see is, is the fact that in verse 1 through 6, the psalmist refers to, to God in the Hebrew as El. El means the sovereign one or the, the, the God, the, the, the one true God as opposed to false gods. And then in verse 7 through 10, the psalmist does something really interesting. He, he calls God Lord. He uses the Hebrew word Adonai or Yahweh. And so he, he, he gives God's personal name. 
God revealed his personal name as Yahweh to Moses in Exodus 3 when God prepared, appeared before him in the burning bush. So my question then is, what is our response? What is our response to, to God's general revelation through the heavens and his specific revelation through his word? Well, the psalmist has one word, humility. The psalmist recognizes that his sins keep him from worshiping God correctly. And so he asks God for forgiveness and, and, and restoration. That's why he says in verse 12 and 13, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden falls. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. You see, my brothers and sisters, we are so helpless in our reckless abandonment to sin that God must hold us back. But what is sin? Romans 8, 7 says that sin or the carnal mind is enmity against God. And what is enmity? Enmity is the personification of hostility and hatred. Enmity cannot live in peace with its enemy. Sin as enmity seeks the utter destruction of God and everything that he has created. And the only way for enemies to have any type of peace is for enmity to be destroyed. And you know what the scary thing is? This enmity lives inside of us. That's why Paul said, uh, he calls it indwelling sin. Paul says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? When I would do good, evil is present there with me. So the good that I want to do, I don't do. And the evil that I don't want to do, I do. Romans 1, 21 through 25 puts our sin in perspective. It says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. You see, the problem of Israel in Psalm 19 and the problem with us today is that we have hardened hearts. We are more enamored with athletes and, and congressmen and expert scientists and accomplished scholars than our creator. We have believed the lie that God is not good, he is not trustworthy, and he isn't even real. But there is a better word, amen? A word that makes us acceptable before a holy God. A word that brings light to our hearts like the sun. A word that speaks life and joy and hope and redemption and restoration. And that word, we all know it, is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was, as John 1, and we read it, he was in the beginning with God. And not only that, but John says, all things were made by him and without him, was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus Christ is the Son, in Psalm 19, verse 5, coming out of his royal chamber like a bride, groom seeking his bride. He is the one coming from the sky like a warrior, ready to conquer our hardened hearts and the enmity that exists within us. And David ends the psalm by calling God a rock, and a redeemer. This is interesting. The Hebrew word used for redeemer here means kinsman 
or next of kin, it was the duty of a man's redeemer or next of kin to buy back the freedom he had lost by paying back a debt or a ransom. You see, my brothers and sisters, we are in slavery to sin, and it took and it takes a next of kin to buy us back. We need a relative whose authority reaches throughout the universe and whose power can destroy the enmity of sin. We need help. But what's amazing is this help doesn't come from a foreigner. This help doesn't even come from an alien or some superhuman. It doesn't even come from our own doing. But it comes from a next of kin, a family member. And so God reveals himself as creator of the heavens in verse 1 through 6 and a family member in verse 7 through 14. God has brought us back from slavery to sin and purchased us through the blood of his son Jesus. And because of Jesus' resurrection and death, we can call death and resurrection, sorry, we can call our creator Father. We have been adopted into the family of God, so much so that we can call God our next of kin. And because of God's personal word through Jesus Christ, we can be healed, we can be forgiven, and we can sing. You know, I've heard it said that uh, uh, I was, you know, I, I love to sing, and I was talking to an opera singer, and he was describing to me what he, what he believes singing is. He said, singing is sustained speech. I mean, think about it. When you, if you say, you know, uh, do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do. All I'm doing is sustaining the notes. And I believe that, 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 that Jesus Christ is the sustained speech of God. Scripture says that in him all things hold together, in him all things consist. He is the sustenance by which we live. And so when God speaks his word through creation, creating the heavens and the earth, and we know that Jesus was in the beginning with him, I believe that Jesus Christ is the song of God the Father. He is the song to, from God the Father to us. It is the final act of healing and forgiveness. Remember that quote that I gave you in the beginning. I'll, I'll read it again. It's from the singer-songwriter Kara Johnstadt. She said, singing is the final act of healing and forgiveness. When you are wounded, you retreat. And my brothers and sisters, we have been wounded by sin. And, and some of us are filled with shame or guilt, or some of us are filled with uh, straight anger or apathy, or we're just, there's no, there's nothing there. But when the, when the wounds begin to heal, when God speaks the personal word, when, he, when, when the Father sings his son to us, we are healed and forgiven. And we are strengthened to sing again. And so, my brothers and sisters, I'll close with this. As you have seen that, that God has revealed himself through his son, Jesus Christ, if you are a follower of Christ, then you, are the, then you are a part of the song of God. And he has given you healing and forgiveness. And so you cannot have a private praise. It is not enough for you to be in your closet and say, oh, yes, God is great, God is full of glory. And yet the heavens are declaring the knowledge of God to those on the earth. My brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, you need to share this knowledge. You need to share this song with those around you.
And if you are not in Christ, if you feel far away, then God has sung to you his son. And he wants to be in a relationship with you. He wants to be known by you. And that's why he created you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you have spoke the sustained speech of your son, Jesus Christ, to us, that you have given us a song that brings life, that restores, that brings redemption and restoration, that makes us know who we truly are. And so, Father, I pray that if there is one in this room that who, who doesn't know who they are or who might feel like there is nothing that you can do for them, I pray that you would prove them wrong. And I pray that you would reveal to them that their wounds have been healed through the Son, Jesus Christ. It is in his name I pray. Amen.